Welcome to Calvary. Wonderful Sunday, wonderful weekend. Uh, the wonderful Word of God we're about to embark into. This is actually part two to what I began uh, about a m- month ago. And talking about postmodern thought and Christianity. Um, and we're going to go over a little bit, but I, you know, you've all seen the coexist bumper sticker on people's cars. Have you seen it? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand. There you go. Well, it shows, well, you want to see it. It's like right here. That's it. Uh, people have these on their cars, but they really don't understand um, the differences between them all because they can't. There's too many contradictions, and that's why I have this one. Because words mean things. Every religion has its own set of doctrine, its own set of truth. And when it comes down to it, its own understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that's where the problem comes in. So this is all stems from postmodern thought. We're going to kind of go over what I went through last time just to give you a little refresher on what it is. But I want to read you a quote from a man named Malcolm Muggridge. He was not a born-again believer, but he was a very smart man. He was a prominent English journalist and author, very smart. But he said this, It is difficult to resist the conclusion that 20th century man has decided to abolish himself. Tired of the struggle to be himself, he has created boredom out of his own affluence, impotence out of his own erotomania, and vulnerability out of his own strength. He himself blows the trumpet that brings the walls of his own cities crashing down, until at last, having educated himself into imbecility, having drugged and polluted himself into stupefaction, he keels over a weary old brontosaurus and becomes extinct. Okay, do you catch all that? That's exactly what modern man has done to himself. He's done it to himself by trying to say that he has freed himself and that we got all these new things and this new way of thinking and this new, all this stuff. He's killed himself. The world has killed itself. Satan has killed the world. And Malcolm's right. But, I, you know, if Mike were here, he'd probably correct me because I don't think there are actually brontosaurus, right? It's a patosaurus. So Malcolm was, he lived, you know, ages ago. So um, he didn't know that. They changed it. Anyway, we're going to do a quick recap. Wait a second. Let's go over here first. What is postmodernism? What is it? Well, There is no objective theory of truth. Okay, first things first, there's no objective theory of truth. So in other words, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. His truth is his truth. The dude over in Japan, he's got his own truth. The dude over in Africa, he's got his own truth. Everyone, they have their own truth. And it doesn't matter if they contradict each other, they're fine. Okay, there is no objective theory of truth. There is no objective reality. So in other words... 
you can make up whatever you want of this reality. And it goes to show because people are um, turning into cats and dogs and they're living in fantasy worlds and they want Marvel to be real and they want Pokemon. You know what I mean? All these things, they're, they're just not all there. They want something else to be real and they'll defend it. So there's no objective reality. There are no universal transcultural standards for beliefs. And this is kind of a killer because in some spots in the world, there actually are. Like Japan has its own culture. China has its own culture, right? Mexico has its own culture. But people are saying there is none. It's a, it, culture is, is fluid. So it doesn't really matter anymore about culture doesn't matter and by the way don't you dare take anybody else's culture right because that's wrong you're you and they're them and leave them alone but wait i thought i made up my own rules right see it makes no sense there's no standard for determining the value of something so in other words in some countries they value subjugating women right i'm thinking of like arab culture um, the Japanese used to bind the feet of women. Did you ever see pictures of that? It's gross. So that they would always walk behind. Um, in a lot of cultures, especially in the Middle East, children were never valued. In America, the abortion issue, children are not valued. There's no value. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because you value what you want, and they value what they want, and it's fine. Whatever you want to value, you can value. There are no fixed meanings for words, text, sentences, or utterances. And this, to me, I think is the biggest one. Because even the things that I'm saying to you don't mean anything. They only mean something when you define them. So I asked the question before, and they've been asked, what is a woman? Well, I know what it is. I'm not a biologist, and I know what it is, right? but you can make up whatever you want because there's no meaning for anything. No meaning for words. And then, of course, there's no fixed reference for self. Who am I? Well, I mean, whoever I make myself out to be. And I can be whatever else I want. How many genders do we have now? It's over 100. Really? Well, I want to be an M1 Abrams tank. Can I be an M1 Abrams tank? or an AH-64 helicopter. That's really what I want to be, a fast attack helicopter. But what are the, what are the ramifications of, of living like this or believing this? Well, you have equivocation. That's not like going, ooh, you know, you're not like a submarine equivocate. No, it is, it's not lying. Equivocation is not lying because lying means telling a falsehood directly. The sky is green. And you'd say, Bill, no, it's not. It's blue. That's lying. Equivocation is concealing the truth or avoiding commitment to a specific stance without necessarily telling any falsehoods. Now, let me just say that you hear this all the time. Do you know who you hear it from? Your politicians, right? Hey, what do you think about that one uh, issue that you're well, that's a great issue, and I really think it's great, and we need to think about it some more, and it's really important, and so we're just going to keep moving forward and see he's equivocating. He's not telling you anything. 
but he's probably lying because he doesn't really care. He's just saying what you want to hear. That's equivocation. Now, they can go together or they cannot go together, but the whole point is that's what it is, equivocation. I'm not actually saying anything. Uh, moral relativism, in other words, uh, I can make up my own morals. You can make up your own morals. Everyone can make up their own morals. Multiculturalism, so you need every culture so that you can be better. Now, you know, being cultured is a good thing. I like learning about, you know, other cultures and beliefs and systems and things like that. But it doesn't mean I have to be accepting of everything that they believe, right? I don't. And I won't because some of them are weird, right? I went through a class on Japanese, where Japan came from and Japanese culture. Guess what? It's weird. They got a lot of weird beliefs. In a hundred years, like if you left a broom, Jay could probably identify with this. If you left a broom over here for, for 100 years, it would come to life and become a spirit-type moving thing, right? Weird. They've got things in the water that come out and eat your kids and stuff. It's just, it, it's all weird. And where'd they get their culture from? Wet rice agriculture, right? Because everything stemmed from the fact that you had one guy in control of a whole section of a, of a land where they farmed wet rice agriculture, rice. And everybody would listen to him. And he was the final authority. And then all of a sudden you've got one person who's the final authority living in the palace that nobody can see because he's the emperor and he's great and he's the voice of God. And that's, that's where their whole culture stemmed from. Weird, right? Weird. Anarchy. Anarchy is the next step. You know what anarchy is, right? No rules, which is really where we're going. By the way, did you see what's happening in Philadelphia this weekend? No? In the streets? Just going into stores, stealing things? It's almost like Los Angeles or San Francisco. Stores are actually closing their doors and putting up wood because the police aren't doing anything and people are just walking in and stealing stuff and nobody's stopping them. That's anarchy right? Lawlessness. Now, from that is going to come totalitarianism. Now, you think to yourself, hey, how do you go from complete lawlessness to a tyrant? Well, guess what? The only people who have any rules in this world are Christians. We want to live by a set of standards. Now, I'm, I am going to say this. Your Muslims believe the same thing, and your religious Jews also have a set standard, okay? But you go from anarchy where there's no rules and the only people who stand against it are Christians. Guess who has to be gotten rid of? Christians. And the totalitarian is going to come in and he's going to get rid of Christianity. Just like Rome, right? Rome, up until 326 AD, or up until the decree, hated Christianity and killed Christians. That's what's going to happen. And, of course, the last step is the elimination of Christianity, elimination of true Christianity. There will always be false Christianity out there because they will go along with whatever else the world does. True Christians, however, aren't going to feel their love, right? Because they need to be tolerant of everything but Christianity. So that's what postmodernism is. Those are the ramifications. But now we're going to talk about 
what's the Christian world for you and how is it affecting the church? Because it is affecting the church. It has gotten into the church. It is in the church. It is moving through the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, places like this are unique. Okay, and there, there are many churches that still hold to the truth, still worship the Lord, but there are many, many who are slowly sliding into the abyss. Okay, so there are five major ramifications for Christianity, and this we're going to get into some scriptures today. Last time we didn't, it was basically the setup. So the five are this. There is no supreme authority, which goes along with what we were already saying. There is no personal identity. There is no personal responsibility. There is an overarching theme of anger. And then there is an overarching importance of personal satisfaction. These five are the majors for the Christian church today. Majors. Now, we have, there's other issues that here and there, whatever. We're just going to look at these five majors because they are beginning to affect the church. There is no supreme authority, and that's where we're going to start. There is no supreme authority, and you think to yourself, man, this is just wrong. How in the world can you call yourself a Christian and not have a supreme authority, right? Not have the God of the universe who makes all the rules, right? Though, as Daniel would say, the one true God. How can you not have that? But yet, go to liberal churches today. They've thrown this out. God can be a man or he can be a woman right? She, the great she. Wrong. There is no supreme authority. There is no singular God who is the authority. None. Now we're going to start looking into some scriptures because what does the Bible teach, right? The one thing that we want to do here at Calvary is, is protect the flock, feed the flock, make sure that Everyone understands what's going on in the world and how do you defend it? How do you come against it? How do you pull down all those high and lofty thoughts of the world and bring them under submission to the word of God? Because these things might be coming at you or your children when they go to college or whatever, when they're in public school, anything like that. How do you go against it? Well, the word of God. It's the word of God. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, what did Jesus use? The word of God. He quoted scripture. Now, the problem is Satan quotes scripture, except he quotes it wrongly, out of context, for his own benefit. So the first thing I want to look at is Genesis 1.1. It's so simple. The very first verse in the Bible sets up the rest of the scripture. It's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One God created it all. Now, we can you know, go through the scriptures and see other verses where he created things. We can also come into the New Testament. You guys were in Colossians today, right, in the Lord's Supper, talking about Jesus Christ creating all things. Ephesians talks about it too. One God created all things. So in other words, if he created all things, isn't he, wouldn't he be the authority? Right? I mean, if he, if he has the power to create everything, he's got the power to set the rules. And he also has the power 
to judge if you break the rules. It's pretty simple. One of the reasons why they don't want a supreme one God authority over everybody else is they want to make for themselves a God that they're not in trouble with, right? I can live my lifestyle the way I want and believe what I want, and I'm fine, right? I'm okay. He's not going to get me. And that's why, remember how they said words don't mean things? Well, you can go in scripture, you can go to like Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, where it begins to talk about men with men, women with women. They just throw that stuff out. Throw it out. Because it doesn't go along with my truth that I made. And my God that I made won't judge me for what I believe. Do you understand what's going on here? This is Christianity. Christianity is this. So Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. How about Psalm 47-7? For God, the God of the Bible, is the king of all the earth. Now, the king is usually the guy who runs things. He's like, I'm the one, I'm the dude, I'm the man. He's the man, right? He makes the rules. He sets the boundaries. He tells the little peasants what to do. Now, our God doesn't tell the little peasants what to do, but he has laid out his word for us. And he says, these things are good, and these things are not good. These, they're bad. This is sin. This is obedience. So he's the king. He's the king. In fact, right, Jesus Christ is called what? King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, everybody will answer to him, right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. Master. Kurios in the Greek. Lord. Master. Ruler. He's the one everyone's going to have to answer to anyway. So, he's the king. 1 Timothy 1.17. It says, and to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the what? The uh, what? Only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The only, only one, not two, not three, right? We believe in the Trinity, but it's one God, same essence, shown in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One God, folks, one king. One Savior, that's it. We have one authority, one. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when I, when I first became a Christian, began to study all these things with Mike and a couple other guys, and that this was just when um, the big entertainment movement came about in Christianity, right? The big, huge churches, the entertainment, all that stuff. The leaders and founders of that movement, do you know what they said? They said, we are going to change the face of Christianity. Change the face of Christianity. And you know what it's gotten us? We, we, you, know, you look at it and you, there's thousands of people, right, on a Sunday. You know what it's really gotten us? I've, read, I've been reading articles the past couple weeks. You know what it's gotten us? It's gotten us less people going to church. 
less, not more. Church attendance is down, and it keeps going down every year. Do you know why? Because people get bored with entertainment, and then where do they go? You either go back to ritualism or you leave because there's no meat. There's no food. We have one authority. We have one word. This is it. And that's why, you know, the brethren, you know, the assemblies like we have here, we used to be called people of the book. Do you know why? Because we were people of the book. And if the book didn't say it, it wasn't right. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, right, every week, because it's in the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? People of the book. People aren't people of the book anymore. They're people of me, and that's a problem. Uh, Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Um, that's the Battle of Armageddon. But he is the Lord. He's the one. He is the king. He is the sovereign. And there is no single receptacle of truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth, right? We have in our hands 66 books in this, you know, Bible that we own, we can have. It's been handed down for centuries. We know this is the accurate canon, all 66 no more, no less. Thy word is truth. Everything in here is true. Every word. Now, it's not to say like, you know, when Satan said, I shall be like the most high, it's true that he said it. It's not true that it's going to happen. But you can take this word, and when you read it, you can say, yeah, that's it. It's exactly what it is. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, what does that mean? It means he's exclusive. There's nobody else, right? There's one truth, and this is it. Well, that's very narrow-minded of you. You're so narrow-minded. Yep. That's a compliment for a Christian. Yep. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever, forever. Sandlot, forever. That's his word. It's forever. In other words, when we get to heaven, guess what? Still his word. Millennial kingdom, guess what? Still his word, forever. There's no end to it. We have a, an authority. And it's not us. It's God in heaven who created all things, who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's it. And he's given us his word, and we can be absolutely confident that this is his word. So that's our authority, period. End of statement. So if you have, uh, you know, like the Jehovah Witnesses, they have extra books that they add, or the Mormons, or the Christian scientists, wrong. There's no extra added other books. There's no book of Enoch, right? There's no bell and the dragon, none of that stuff, nothing. So if anyone takes from an outside source and goes right here, wrong, don't do that. It's this. It's this. Okay. Now, 
There is no personal identity. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I in this ball that's moving at 100,000 miles an hour through the universe with every other ball in the universe? Who are you? There is no single ego, no real person, no enduring individual. Think about that. It's whatever you make yourself up to be, and your end is whatever it is. It doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? Every individual decides for themselves who and what they are, right? This is postmodern thought. You have to make yourself who you want to be, who you are, you want to be. And you've seen people, they've gotten tattoos to look like tigers, and they've got ears like sewn into their heads. I've seen a dude get something uh, t like tusks sewn into his mouth. It's demonic. It's driving people to weirdness. It's taking what God has made and defacing it. Genesis 1.26 says this, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, speaking of the Trinity. You were made in the image and likeness of God. Now, this doesn't mean that you're omniscient, you know everything, or you're omnipotent, but it does mean that you have love and grace and mercy, those attributes of God that are communicable that we can share with him. He's made us like him. We can communicate. We want to have a relationship. We have a soul, mind, a will, and emotions. Those are the things. He made us specifically. We are a special creation. We're not like the animals, right? He made all the animals, but then he made man. And it never says of the animals, he made animals in his image, only humans, only. And another reason why we are so important, who did Jesus Christ die for? Did he die for the dogs and the cats? They're so cute. Well, maybe mine is every so often, but sometimes he's a dork, my dog. No, Jesus Christ only died for man. In fact, who did he become like? He became a little lower than the angels and took on flesh. He became as one of us to redeem us from the slave market of sin. We're different from everybody else, everything else. We're unique. We're special in the order of creation. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created what? What was this? Male and female? What? Male and female, he created them. Not male and female and other. You know, right in your answer here, this is not a multiple choice question. There's only one male, female. Pick one. That's it. And then Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If you think about that child in your womb, as like a woman, not a man, right? Because men can't get pregnant. <laughs> Even though the head, of, the head of health and human services came out, he was before Congress and he said, men can have babies. Oh, listen. You are a special creation of God. Your children are a special creation of God. You were made in his image, made in his likeness. And those children in the womb, 
He has knitted together special, and they are special people. They're special. They're going to be a, a wonderful person if only we would let them live. But we've killed 68 million of them in America. The greatest mass murder at anywhere. When you don't value what God values, it's bad. It goes very, very wrong. So you are special. Even though you're a sinner, you're still special. You're a special creation, okay? We're not just whatever we make up. We're what God made us. And that's final. There is no personal responsibility. This is rampant today in America um, and in some parts of the world. Other parts of the world, like if you steal, they cut your hand off, right? You do bad things, they do bad things back. Uh, there is no supreme authority to answer to, just self. So if it's just me, in fact, I can actually change the rules as I go along in life. So if I'm against something right now, but it, time comes when I got to do that, well, then it's okay. I've never stole all my life. Stealing's wrong. But, you know, I got to this one point. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll just steal right here. And that's fine. Oh, boy. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a supreme authority that we have to answer to, and it's not self. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. There is personal responsibility for the actions we take in this life. We will have to answer. People will have to answer. Right? And there's two thrones that people will stand before, right? In the, in the book of Revelation, one is in, in the epistles. One is the Bema seat, and it's for believers, where we will give an account of what we've done for Christ. And then you have the great white throne, judgment, which is for unbelievers. Well, the books will be opened, and they will answer for what they have done. And then be thrown into the lake of fire. We are personally responsible to the God who made us. Personally responsible. Uh, there's no sin because an individual makes up what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Surely there's not. They're, they all sin. We all sin. This is it. Isaiah 64, 6, we have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy rags or polluted garments. We all, like a leaf, our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And by the way, what does 1 John say? If we say that we have no sin, what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's self-deception to say that we have no sin. We are deceiving ourselves. Postmodern thought lets mankind deceive themselves to think that they're fine. You ever hear the theory all men are basically good? You know where that comes from? Communism. All men are basically good. Really? That's why they've slaughtered hundreds of millions of people over the centuries? 
I, I don't think that's good at all. I, I don't. No, we're sinners. And our sin manifests itself. And when you say you don't, you're lying to yourself. So we have responsibility. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and we're going to answer. Which, realistically, for the believer, it should drive us to live for him more. To look at our lives and say, what's going on in my life? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is the Holy Spirit leading me to do this or not? What does his word say? We should be becoming more holy day by day. Because when we stand before him, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's exactly right. Now, the next one is that there's an overarching theme of anger. Have you noticed this in humanity? There's an overarching theme that everybody is just angry. And I'm not saying like the Christian. I'm saying the unbeliever. They're angry. A lot of people are just angry at everything. Why? Because they're not getting their way? Because they don't like, you know, they didn't get enough toys when they were a kid? Or, you know, that person doesn't agree with me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill them. I'm going to beat them up. I'm going to punch them. I can't have what you have, so I'm going to take it and hurt you in the process. How about in schools? You see all the, the kids in schools beating other kids up. Why? Why the anger? The individual is offended at the intolerance of the Christian, right? There are people in Christian churches who would look at this place and places like it and say, you're intolerant. You're very intolerant. You're not accepting. No. It's one thing to love somebody, and it's another thing to believe that what they, everything they do is right, right? It's called respect. At least that's what I was taught. You respect everybody. You give them the honor they're due. But it doesn't mean I believe everything you believe, and it doesn't mean I think everything you do is correct. See, people used to actually have discussions about stuff, right? I like, they used to actually have what's called a, like, you have liberals and you have conservatives and then you got everybody in the, in the middle, right? Moderates and stuff like that. They used to actually be what's called thinking liberals. There's very few left. I've been reading, following somebody on Twitter. She's actually a thinking liberal. She grew up in San Francisco. She didn't know any conservatives. She didn't even know there was another thought process other than what she was raised with. And now she wants to talk to people, not angrily, but she wants to find out what's going on out there. She's a thinking liberal. There aren't very many, very many left because they're all angry and they don't want to listen to you. You go on college campuses, right? Do they listen? Some do. A lot don't. But I bet you there's a lot if you went out to California that would be angry and want to hurt you. Everything is against them and their right to do and think what they want. But is it really? Can't you still do and think what you want, even if I don't agree with it? Can't you still do whatever, right? I'm not like putting a gun to your head and saying don't. I'm just saying I don't agree with what you're doing. But yet they get angry. I don't get it. 
what is the Christian, what is our response, our heart? John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world is going to get angrier and angrier. Don't make no mistake about this. It's not like all of a sudden things are going to change. We're past the change part. We're way past it. They're angry. Ephesians 4.31, for us, however, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It is something that we should not show. We should not do. That is not part of who we are anymore, right? When we were born again and the Spirit of God come and indwelt us, the gifts of the Spirit were ours, right? The, the fruits of the Spirit. And these things need to be put away so that we can manifest love, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, long-suffering. Those are the things we want to cultivate, and these are the things we want to get rid of. The world can't do that, right? However, because the Spirit of God does not dwell in them unless they're born again. The world, the world fights against what God wants. And again, remember, we're setting up, this world is setting itself up for a totalitarian ruler. So they're moving that way. We need to be moving the opposite direction. Colossians 3.8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put it away. For the Christian, you are to live differently. You're to act differently. You are to be a light in a dark place. You are to be the word of God when people aren't reading their Bibles. Because I remember in the old days, people would come up and say, hey, you know, you're, something's different about you. Nowadays, they don't say anything or they immediately accuse you of being a weirdo. And they're mad at you. And if you do talk to them, they get angry. Hmm. We're different. Christians are different. We're to act differently. We're not to be angry. We're not to have those things. This is why you're going to see more and more evil deeds being done against those that disagree with them. Because we have to get away. They have to get rid of the people that stand in their way. And that's us. Now, if you know anything about the scriptures, I think God's actually going to do this better than they will won't he? When he sends his son to take the church out of the world, then we'll be gone and we'll be out of their face. But like Brad was saying this morning, then they've got seven years to do whatever they want, to be as reckless and as debauched as they want. Because at the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ comes back and then they got to answer to him. So wouldn't it be better to just Trust Jesus now, wouldn't it? And then there is an overarching importance of personal satisfaction. Sorry about this, the writing sideways. I decided to change it up, maybe just to, but it's all about me and my feelings. That's what it, the world runs on today is feelings, right? If you know anything about the history of postmodern thought, it started with pre modern, right? Which was Faith and fact and feelings came last. 
And then you have modern thought, which would toss faith out, and then you just had fact and maybe a little bit of feelings. And then postmodern thought came along, and then they tossed out fact, and now they just run on feelings. And feelings, of course, right? There's a way that is right to a man, but the end leads into death. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your feelings mean zero. I can feel right now so bad. I can actually feel that I'm not saved, right? But I am. My feelings can deceive me. They can. Be careful. I'd rather stand on the word of God, period. Um, everything is to be tolerated. There should be no restraints. No restraints. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. He had to wipe out the world with the flood, right? Because man was wicked, and that's all he thought about. Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Feelings. Run by your feelings. Judges 17, 6, and then 21, 25, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that today? Isn't that what you see today? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes? It's exactly what you see today. We're almost done. What's the end result? Well, there's coming a man who's going to embody this philosophy. One man is going to embody this entire thing, right? Daniel eleven thirty six. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every god, shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He's only got seven years, and then that's it. He's done. 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The end result will be one man running the world after the rapture, after we're gone for seven years. This will be the culmination of postmodern philosophy in one man, and the world will follow, follow right along. What should we do? What's our scope? Well, first thing, understand the time that we live in. Know the word of God. Keep yourselves from the stain of the world and preach the gospel. And I've got slides on this. You guys mind if we go another five? No, you're good? All right. Understand the times. Second Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. This is today. Today. But it was even in the times when Timothy wrote it, when Paul wrote it to Timothy. Right? They, their world lived like this. Not as bad as ours, though. Uh, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lover of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. There's so many false Christianities out there, it's not even funny. 
avoid such people. In other words, you're not to like be best buds with these people. You want to preach the gospel to these people. Always learning and never able to arrive to, to the knowledge of the truth. And then a little bit later, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doc- doctrine or teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate from themselves teacher to suit their own passions, right? My world, the way I want it. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that's why we have like a million different beliefs in Christianity. And we do. By the way, the parables of the kingdom, right? Jesus talked about the parable of the kingdom, starting off with the sower who sows the seed. And then we have the tree where all the birds come in, and birds are a negative influence. They're, they're a negative addition. And then it talks about um, the, I want to say yeast. What's, what's the word called that you put in bread? Leaven, right? The woman who adds leaven to, to the bread. That's a negative element. In other words, If anything, Jesus is teaching us in the parables of the kingdom is that things are going to get worse and Christianity is going to start adopting things that are wrong. So what do we do? We have to know the word of God. That's our job. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Store it in your heart. Remember it. But his delight, being you, Christian, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he um, meditates day and night. Read it. Think on it. Josh did a whole Wednesday night on meditation. It was really good. Think on it. Chew the cud, right? Like the cow. We don't have four stomachs. Just just wanted you to know that. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. See, but we only have one stomach. But you want to chew the cud. I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. I put them in. I'm, I'm taking them into my heart, into my mind, ruminating on them. That's what I'm doing. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's in me. Deuteronomy 11.18, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And I'm not saying walk around with a box on your head with the scripture in it, right? That's what the Jews, they took this literally. We don't need to do that but we need to put it in our hearts and in our minds. You know, don't get it tattooed on your arm. You know, oh, look, I've got the book of Genesis right here. It's really small. I can't read it, but it's there it is. And it's in Hebrew. And I can't read Hebrew either. But JC can. Keep yourselves from the stain of the world. Second Peter 3.17, you therefore, beloved, know that beforehand take care that you are not carried away with the errors of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care of your walk. Do not just follow somebody just because. They have to measure up to this, period. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We don't want to be children anymore. We want to be mature. And then 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labors are not in vain. Steadfast and immovable. Immovable. Yes, I am very narrow-minded when it comes to the truth. 
but Scripture tells me to be. And I will stand on it no matter what. This is the hill that you die on, right? This is it. They tell you, you know, if ever we were to be taken into captivity or whatever, you know, like they do in foreign lands and, you know, hey, you, you, you say that you don't believe in Jesus anymore. You don't believe in that Bible anymore. We're going to torture you. Tough rocks. The answer is no. Right? To live as Christ and die as gain. I win. I win no matter what. So, and then lastly, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. Preach the gospel. Give out that good news to everybody, anybody. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone, even the people that you don't think are worthy, right? Unlike Jonah, right? God said, Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. And he's like, no, they don't deserve it. And I'm not going. And God said, yes, you are. But we should go and we should do it because he loves them. Uh, Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The Jews were supposed to do that. They didn't. We're supposed to do that. What are we doing? Standing on the rock that's out in the midst of the waters, the only safe place. He is my rock and my fortress, my surety divine. So we need to stand faithful against the wiles of the devil. You know what I'm saying? Postmodern thought is destructive and it's demonic, and we have to be wary. We have to be wary. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we know that things are going to get worse and worse. We know Satan knows his time is short. We know and we see the things that he is doing in this world to people, people who were made in your image, people who he is trying to destroy. And Lord, we want to be different and we want to reach them. So help us, give us the strength. We know your spirit dwells in us. Help us to not be afraid. Help me to not be afraid. And Lord, to the very end, let us be steadfast and immovable. Help us to be that. Give us grace to be kind and compassionate. And we just want to say we love you. Because without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. Without his death, burial, and resurrection, we're men most miserable. So we praise you for him. Bless us this day, this week, this month, and help us to be your disciples. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.